17 things I've learned in 17 years of marriage. I could probably write three books on this subject, but chances are you don't want to listen to three books worth. So I boiled it down to 17 things. Spoiler alert, this is part of my digital course from heartbreak to happily ever after. The last module is this exact thing. I took the audio and made it into a podcast episode. Wanted to give you a sneak peek of the course because I hope you like it. There's a lot more goodness in there. And also want to share this with a wider audience because I believe there's some good truths here. A lot I've learned along the way and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. I'm just so excited about this. So my husband and I celebrated 17 years this July. And in full disclosure, I actually had all of this already recorded, but then I learned something that is like, it's like that I knew, but I didn't really know, you know, how that happens sometimes. And it had to be added. So I'm adding it. Buckle up. This is going to be fun. All right. So I'm just going to go through these. I numbered them one through 17. Here we go. Number one. By the way, that thing that I re-recorded for is a little bit later, so you'll just have to you'll just have to be patient. <laughs> but the first thing that I want to ask you is, what is marriage? And you may be like, oh, well, Katie, duh, you know, marriage is like when two people commit to each other, and whatever you want to define that as. But I want to ask you, what is marriage? Because first of all, not all of us have the same definition. You know, I say when I say, what is this pen? We may or may not all have the same definition, but when it comes to marriage, sometimes we do. And the reason that matters is because this is a big commitment, right? And understanding what it means to you might help you understand how you approach this idea of marriage. So something that really revolutionized the way I see marriage is we went to a marriage conference, I don't know, maybe like seven or so years ago with an author, Gary Thomas, who I highly recommend. He's written a ton of books on marriage. He's done marriage counseling. And he was the keynote, the main speaker of the event. And he said several things that really rocked my rocked my world. And one of those is that in all of his research and all of his, you know, learning about what marriage is, seeing couples, studying what how marriage was even designed, like God created this whole idea. What did he have in mind? And his definition of marriage is an example here on this earth for two human beings to show have a little glimpse, a little a little bitty snapshot glimpse of showing the other human how much God loves us, okay? Because in the very beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He walked with them there. And then we know sin entered the world and there was a separation from you know man and God. And then there's this whole idea of marriage where 
God give us another human to show up every day and say, I want to choose you at your best and at your worst. I want to show you love unconditionally. Now, of course, humans get this wrong all the time, right? We have selfishness. We have divorce. You, it doesn't take too much convincing for you to understand that, that we don't get this right. But at its very design, what if marriage was designed for me every day to get up and show my husband how much Jesus loves him? And for him every day to get up and show me how much Jesus loves me. I'm just saying, if we could give that one little part right, it would change marriages. It would change the world. And I don't think that this could be overstated enough because when marriages are strong, the family is strong. The children benefit. You can look look at the statistics People do better in their work. People are better, you know, mentally. We have better mental health when we're in happy relationships. There's so much riding on healthy marriages and understanding what marriage is, is a huge component in that. Okay, that's just number one. Number two is what is your why behind getting married? So if you listen to any kind of like business self-help books, when they talk about if you want to start a business or whatever it is, they ask, say, what is your why? And you ask that five to seven times. So for example, when it comes to marriage, if we say, why do you want to get married? The first answer might be, well, because I you know, don't want to be alone the rest of my life. Why? <laughs> well, because I want to have kids. Why? Well, because I, you know, want to find someone that I love and we can continually to love each other forever and ever. Why? Like none of these are bad answers, but it's important to get to the root of your why. Because again, when we define marriage, we define why we want to get married. It's just a more clear direction of how to get there, right? So if I say I want to go to the beach, that's very broad. I could go to Florida. I could go to an island somewhere. I could go to Hawaii. I could go to California. There's a lot of beaches. But if we like dig a little deeper and find out exactly where you want to go, this is the same idea with marriage. Why do you want to get married? And eventually, maybe hopefully you will come to this idea, like we said at the beginning of what marriage even is. And it's an opportunity. You might not say like, oh, because I want to show up selflessly, show someone how much uh, Jesus loves them every day. But don't we want someone to show that to us? Because everyone wants to be loved unconditionally. And we get the opportunity to show that to another human being. Which leads me to my next one. And Gary Thomas also rocked my world when he asked this question. What if marriage was designed to make you holy over happy? Or holy, not just happy? And this is so important because I hear so often like, oh, I'm just not happy anymore. What if marriage is more about than just happiness? So first thing wrong with that sentence is feelings are leaves. Yes, like leaves on a tree. Right now I'm looking out the window and the trees are covered in leaves because it is getting toward the end of summer and they are full covered with leaves. They are big. They are all that I can see, but they are temporary, right? They are temporary leaves because they will come and go with the seasons. We based so much sometimes on our feelings. Oh, they make me happy. Oh, they don't make me happy. I want to get married. I don't want to stay married. Those are temporary leaves. And that is ridiculous to base lifelong decisions on temporary feelings because at the root, 
of these trees is what really matters. So in the fall or in the wintertime when they are completely barren, these trees, should I just, oh, we got to get a bulldozer and knock all those down because they're useless anymore? No. What matters is in the roots of these trees. So when it comes to relationships, what if marriage was designed to make you holy, not just happy? Now, our culture will be like, oh, Kitty, that doesn't sound good. Like, I just want to be happy. All right. Well, let me explain it this way. There are a lot of studies done on Abraham Lincoln. I have a point to this. Stay with me. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln, he was in a difficult marriage. His wife was a difficult person. A lot of historians that have studied this say that Abraham Lincoln was a better leader because of his difficult marriage, because despite of how, you know, kind of aggravating and, you know, annoying she would be sometimes, he got the opportunity to show up and love her even when she, when he didn't feel like it, even when she didn't deserve it. Now you'd be like, oh, but that sounds so hard. Like I can't love someone when they're being difficult, but don't you want to be loved when you are difficult? Here's the thing. How does this woman know to love someone unconditionally unless she's modeled that? So what if your spouse shows up every day and loves you unconditionally? What if you get to show up and love that person every day unconditionally? Now, I get it. There are reasons for divorce. I get it. Some people just absolutely cannot uh, respect each other. There are grounds, but nine times out of 10, The people that I know in real life that have walked through a divorce, it wasn't because their spouse was abusive. It wasn't because, you know, there was just absolutely no way out. It was because they didn't feel it anymore. But what if instead this whole, oh my gosh, you know, I'm frustrated by them. I don't feel it anymore. You use that energy toward diving into what does Jesus even say about marriage? How can he sharpen me? And how can he make me show up and love that person even when I don't feel like it, even when they don't deserve it? There's another example I learned at a marriage conference, and it was a couple who in their young married days that the wife was um, just kind of gave the husband a hard time a lot. For example, he would lose his wallet a lot. He was just, you know, kind of absent-minded. He lost his wallet like on the regular And when this happens, she'd be like, oh my gosh, like, why can't you keep up with anything? We're going to be late. Every time you do this, it's so annoying. Like just kind of letting into him every time he lost his wallet. Well, she started to mature in her faith and she started to realize how much she personally had been forgiven of by Jesus, how far she was from perfection and how much she needed grace from him, from her savior, from everything, right? When she started to see life through that lens, guess what? She started to see her husband through that lens too. They told the story of how, you know, she would always just get really onto him when he lost stuff. And then about five or six years into their marriage, as she kind of had this growth process, he lost his wallet one day and she was like, that's okay, babe. Let's retrace your steps. Where'd you have it last? And he was standing there like, who are you? And what have you done with my wife? But listen, I've been married 17 years. Stuff like that is going to happen. You are going to marry an imperfect human. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And yes, dating is an opportunity to choose which junk you can put up with and what you can't. But there's going to be some junk. You are going to bring some junk into the marriage and he is going to bring some junk into the marriage. What if you get to learn the perfect example of unconditional love with so much grace And you get to show that to another human being. All the while, every day being an exercise and making you more holy. 
And guess what? That kind of marriage also makes you happy. The Harvard Happiness Study, yes, there was a study on happiness done by Harvard. It's called the Harvard Happiness Study. They found that the key, the the one factor that led to the most happiness was long-term committed relationships. So if you have a long-term committed relationship and you're continually showing that person unconditional love, which we know is definitely a good thing to lead to a longer, healthier relationship, also making you more holy, making you more like Jesus is also going to make you happy. Actually, I don't even love that term happy because happy is a fleeting emotion, like the leaves of the tree we talked about, you know, really joy. Joy is a characteristic. It's not just a fleeting emotion. Okay, who's having fun? Let's go to number four. That is the one you say yes to is the one. So as a mentor of young women, I get this question a lot. How do you know if I found the one? And uh, first of all, I feel like this is a flawed question because what we a lot of times put that mentality on is thinking that the one, like one human is like our ticket to happiness, our ticket to happily ever after. And that is unfair and untrue to put so much weight on another, on another human. You know, I've been married 17 years. My husband is wonderful, but he is flawed and he can't fill all my broken places and, you know, make all my tomorrows full of sunshine and rainbows. And what happens a lot of times is I see couples get married. Oh, I think I found the one. Everything's good. And then a few years later, there are bills and toddler tantrums and frustration. And then someone flirts at them at the gym or at work. And the mentality is, oh, I just didn't marry the one, right? I want my husband not to be committed to the marriage. Hear me out. I don't want him to be committed to the marriage because tomorrow he can go out and get another the marriage. I don't want to be committed to the marriage. I want to be committed to him. I want him to be committed to me. So the one you say yes to is the one. Now, of course, when you're dating, you get the opportunity to to decide to kind of have this, I don't want to say interview process, but this opportunity to get to know other people and decide what matters to you in dating, what's important. You know, there's a lot of things that we'll talk about as far as like, do you want to live on your parents' property? Does he want to live in Zimbabwe? Like, those are things to talk about. But I really believe that the one non-negotiable is to have a shared faith. Because if you think about it, you know, 90% of arguments are communication and finances. If you are on the same page with faith, that is going to take a lot of that away. For example, Christine Kane talks about how that she, before she met her husband, she was on the path toward, I want to glorify Jesus. I like, that is my eye on my prize. That's where I'm headed. That's the path that I'm on. I'm racing toward Jesus. Her husband was the same. That is where I'm going. And then they meet and the goal is still the same. The race is still the same. They're just doing it together. If you have a shared faith, then so many arguments can be saved or at least communicated better. So for example, like, hey, you know, her husband really wants to buy this $30,000 boat. That's a big expense. And wife is saying, oh, we need that money for, I, I don't know, a car. And that's a, that's, it could be a very big conflict, right? But if you're both have this eye on the prize of Jesus, what is our ultimate goal? Like how I've heard it said that you're not going to find in the Bible an answer to that. For example, you know, 
should I buy a boat? Yes or no? You're not going to find that in the Bible. But you might find a better chance of getting the answer to that is what is going to make us more like Christ. Not that buying a boat can or can't be of Jesus. Not that buying a car can or can't be of Jesus. Not that saving that money can or can't be of Jesus. But you're going to get a little bit closer to finding your answer if you're on that path. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Another way I heard it said is like a triangle. Like if God is at the top, you know, and you guys are at the bottom of the triangle and you're both racing toward that goal and you meet somewhere along the way, your goal is still the same and you're racing together toward the same goal. Now, there are books upon books about like, you know, making a list, making priorities. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But if you boil it all down, I believe that that is the absolute one non-negotiable. So the one you say yes to is the one. Now, oh, I love this one. Number five, a good marriage isn't something you find, it's something you make. So again, going off of that, of how do I know if I found the one, who is willing to put in the work with you? Who is willing to you know, be committed to not just the marriage, but to you? Because I promise you, you know, Brian and I, between my parents and his parents, so four humans, my mom, my dad, his mom, his dad, those four humans have a total of nine divorces. That is the number you heard correctly. I wish I was making that up, but nine divorces. So this isn't something that came natural to us about having a healthy marriage. You know, it's not something that we even get right all of the time, but we decided early on, shoot, even before we were engaged, we started reading a book about like, what does it look like to, what was it called? It was called Before the Ring. <laughs> you know, I was, excited, I was excited when he pulled that book out. He's like, let's go over this book. But um, we've just been very intentional since the beginning, reading marriage books, going on marriage retreats. I talked about that one where we met Gary Thomas. We've been on several marriage retreats. We don't have it all right, but we are learning along the way because we are committed to each other. We are committed to continuing to make a good marriage. You know, a lot of times weddings will end, I mean, movies will end at the wedding, right? And then they met and they lived happily ever after. And they said, I do. And it's all beautiful, but that is the beginning. I believe the wedding is the beginning, which leads me to number six, that it is not about the marriage or it is about the marriage, not the wedding. So I see so many people get caught up in, oh, I want to buy a dress. I want to get the Instagram likes. <laughs> I want to think about flowers and all the things. And they are thinking about a wedding, not marriage. And I realize that we know that it's a long-term commitment, but it is so easy to get caught up in that day. The way I heard or the way I suggest for people engaged to kind of think long-term here is after the wedding is over, after you've been on your honeymoon, after all of the gifts have been open and you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with your spouse, are you happy with your decision? And, you know, I hope that you're like, well, of course, Katie, like, yeah, I've already thought about that. But a lot of people have not. So think about that forever, you know, and also a lot of times people be like, oh, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Like I'm committed to someone that I wish I wasn't married, I'm going to be married to, but I've already got the date and I've already got the dress <laughs> that is losing all sense of proportion for putting everything on one day versus hopefully 50 years of being married. Right. So, and again, this is tricky because as I do online mentoring, I talk to so many different instances of girls that are in a relationship or whatever. So for example, 
I spoke to one girl who is in a great relationship. The guy is on a um, involved in their church. She is involved in their church. They like he's a good and loving guy. He planned this beautiful engagement. Like everything is good about their relationship. But she reached out for mentoring because she was like, I mean, I'm just not sure. She wasn't having these like you know butterflies and fireworks in the background and stuff like that. So in that particular conversation. I feel like the romance culture has kind of done done her a disservice because she was expecting Disney movies and, you know, fireworks and like a backup dancers and a parade all to, you know, come and make her heart feel happy when she was engaged and every moment thereafter and be floating on cloud nine. That's not true. That's not reality. I mean, like, you know, yes, you should be happy about it and stuff like that, but we don't want to get so caught up in romance culture that we expect all this stuff. I remember when I found my dress, I liked my dress. It looked pretty on me. You know, I felt good about it. It was a good price. But I remember going home that night and I was watching say yes to the dress and I didn't have this teary moment and I didn't have, you know, all of this stuff we see on TV. And so I started crying. Oh, maybe I didn't find the right dress. You know, I can't say yes or no to every person's circumstances, but don't let Hollywood and all these movies get you caught up in like thinking about the feelings too much, right? We talked about how feelings are leaves. And then I talked to another girl who kind of gave her boyfriend an ultimatum and they were engaged because she said, you know, we're engaged or we're done. And he told her, Hey, I just want to let you know, this is the reason why she reached out for mentoring. I just want to let you know that the other night at a party, my ex-girlfriend was there and I didn't cheat on you, but I thought about it and I almost did. What? And as we talked a little more and I realized that she had given him an ultimatum about getting engaged, I saw red flags everywhere. And through that conversation, I think he was trying to tell her, I don't want to be engaged. And I'm just trying to tell you to call it off. There's a lot of different nuances to this conversation, but what I want you to hear, the main thing is it's not about a day. It's not about one dress. It's not about flowers. I don't barely even remember some of the stuff from my wedding. It is about the marriage, not just the wedding. I'm combining all my top advice, everything I hear most often when I have mentoring calls and putting it in one easy to digest course. It's called From Heartbreak to Happily Ever After, and it is available now. I taught a similar style course back in January. I got your feedback. I learned some, and I put this together in four different modules, walking you literally from a heartbreak to a healthy relationship. We're going to talk about healing from hurt, loving your single life, chemistry, infatuation, and have a shame-free discussion on sex. And then 17 things I've learned in 17 years of marriage. I put a lot of research into each module and I pray this content will help change your dating life for the so much better. If you've never been through a heartbreak, it still applies. You can just skip the first one and go ahead to the dating and loving your single life. If you are in a relationship, this also applies to you because it helps you find a healthy relationship. Evaluate where you are, where you want to go, and how to get there. Find all the information on my website or on Instagram. That's at Katie Bulmer Life. And Truth For Your 20s listeners save 10% by using promo code TRUTH at checkout. Okay, number seven. Here is a really good one. This is the one I had to re-record for because I was like blown away. And this is that women can change divorce statistics. Women can change divorce statistics. Let me explain this. 
I was doing some homework on this and found that in America, 80% of divorces are filed or instigated by women. If you think about just college-educated women, it's actually 90%. Women with a college education are more likely to leave a marriage. So if 80 to 90% of divorces are instigated by women, then what in the world, right? And I was thinking about this just anecdotally, you know, my own life, every woman I know, and there might be someone I'm not thinking of, but every couple I know that's has been divorced, the woman was the one who was like, I don't want to do this anymore. What's more is that women who find themselves single or widowed or just not married for whatever reason in their later in their later years, in their older years, are 50% more likely to die of any causes, any and every cause, than their married counterparts. So we have a single older woman and a married older woman. The single older woman is 50% more likely to die of any cause than her married counterparts. Okay, interesting. But sit down because in the study of men, men who are single for whatever reason in their older years, single men are 250% more likely to die of death of any cause than their married counterparts. What? Yes, because women, generally speaking, are more likely to cook healthy and to take care of themselves and to like encourage you guys to stay active. And women are the ones, generally speaking, who plan the social events. And there's a lot of studies how social events and staying active in your community lead to longevity. So if you boil all that together, if men are 250% more likely to die and women 80 to 90% more are leaving their husbands because they don't want to be married. This is a life or death issue. I mean, (laughs) this cannot be like overstated. This is such a big deal. So why are women leaving so much? There's a lot of reasons. Obviously there's different things to unpack here, but it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. Women feel I deserve better. I'm not happy. Listen, I am a women's empowerment speaker. I am all for women's empowerment. I'm all for like, you can do whatever you want, girlfriend. But (laughs) there is a balance to this. And I think as a society, uh, Americans especially, we need to get over ourselves a little bit. We are, we've become very selfish. We have been like, oh, I, I deserve better. It's me, 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 me. What if, like we said earlier, marriage was designed to make us holy, not just happy? And what if we could just show up and have this exercise in becoming less selfish? And I don't, quote, feel it right now, but I'm going to show up and love you. I'm going to show up and unconditionally serve you. Like, what kind of example does it show our children to show up and love someone to show up continually and love someone versus someone saying, oh, they just get on my nerves. I heard an example of a, this is actually a college girl that I mentored and she was talking about her parents and her mom left her dad because he was, he never really made a lot of money. He was always kind of like never advancing in his job. She just kind of became frustrated and thought, you know, I deserve better. He's never going anywhere in his career life is too short. So she was like, I can't take this anymore. And she left him. Well, about seven years later, he ended up eventually advancing in his career, 
became CEO of the company a little bit later and got remarried. And he was making all this money, you know, living life. He was very ha- happy in a better relationship at that point. And his, the mom got remarried to someone in a B-grade job, not making a lot of money. And the girl I was talking to was just saying how sad it was that the mom left him in his struggle, in his kind of, you know, worst years and wasn't able to see him at his best years. Can I remind you that we take a vow when we get married for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness and in health. And I know that poor and sickness isn't the fun part, right? But we are talking a lifetime. And so many times in our life, things change and we become richer and poorer and sick and health or whatever it may be. And this isn't, you know, a daily thing. This isn't a yearly thing. This could be decades, decades of, you know, some gunk and decades of some wonderfulness. Wonderfulness probably isn't a word, but you know what I'm saying. And I believe that women can change this if we understand this idea a little bit better and knowledge is power. So hopefully just letting you even know that is life-changing. Okay, and leading off of that, and will help you maybe understand how women can change the marriage world, is that marriage is about falling in love over and over, always with the same person. I have used this quote before, and I love it so much. You know, when my husband and I got married, I was married marrying a youth pastor in a small town who... Um, neither of us really were into working out. I mean, we, we ran together, but like we didn't, you know, there's so many things in our life are just different. And as we've been married, I've seen him become, now he has a totally different job. He works for a university. We've both become parents. We've moved cities. We've both really gotten into fitness. Um, we've changed friends because we moved cities. Like so many things about us have changed. And that's a good thing. I've heard it said you're either growing or you're dying, right? Like we need to be growing and our relationships also need to be growing. And I had to have a quote here for my favorite line in a journey song from the song Faithfully. It says, I get the joy of rediscovering you because, you know, this is a song from a rock star who's on the road going to all these different cities and stuff. And then he comes back and is, you know, sees his wife again. And he gets the joy of rediscovering her is what he was saying. And I just think that's so beautiful because you know, even if you're at home every day and see that person, what changed about you? You know, like what, what did you do today? Tell me about stuff. We did this thing called chow chat, C-H-O-W chow chat. It's just like this random thing. Um, I looked up on the internet and it gives you all these discussion questions that you can talk about over dinner. And we'll do that every now and then. And it's so funny because I'm like, I've been married to you 17 years. How did I just now learn whatever it is about you? You know, like something from your childhood or whatever. And what a joy. Who doesn't want to be discovered? Wow, how sexy is that? If my husband says, like, I want to be an expert on you, and you meet someone who says, I want to be an expert on you, get to know each other and get to keep knowing each other. This whole thing, this whole relationship, marriage does not stop at the wedding. It's just the beginning. Okay, number nine, it's not about 50 50, it's about 100 100. I love the idea of seeking to outserve each other. I, I mean, I've never met a couple who didn't get along and got divorced because, you know, they were just, they served me too much. They were just too kind. Like, no, we all want to have this idea of serving each other. So I think a lot of times we get into this mentality of what have you done for me lately? And, you know, like you do this, you do that. Okay, cool. But if we both have that mentality of 
how can I help you today? Like, I mean, it's just, it just changes the perspective and how can I show up and be your helpmate? How can I show up and be an example of Jesus to you? Maybe don't say it like that. They might think it's weird, (laughs) but having that mentality of how can I show up and be and serve you? Now, I'm not asking you to be a doormat. I get that, that some women might hear, like, I want you to just stop everything and put your dreams on hold for the other person. No, like, I want you to serve each other. If you, if you're both doing this, it is a beautiful thing. And I get it. Not, not in every relationship, the couple is both going to be serving each other, but that should be the goal. And if, for example, one person is showing and serving that other person over and over again, nine times out of 10, that is such a just heartwarming, beautiful example of unconditional love. Even if the other person who isn't serving as much is going to be just inspired by that. And like, oh my gosh, you know, you were saving that money to buy this brand new makeup kit. I don't know, but you spent that so I could get a new fishing kit, (laughs) making this up as I go like that. Wow. That's so selfless of you. That's so kind. That's so heartfelt. And I would imagine fishing kit guy is hopefully very touched. And then next time it's his turn, you continue to serve and continue to outserve each other. Like that's the stuff movies are made of, right? Like that's beautiful. Continuing to outserve each other. Okay. Number 10, there is no such thing as marriage problems. Yep. That's what I said. There is no such thing as marriage problems. Here's what I mean. There are no such thing as marriage problems, but there are single people problems in a marriage. If you've been around here long, I talk about this all the time. I read this in a book and also had it confirmed by several people that I've had on the podcast. For example, one was a marriage counselor and she was like, oh yes, because when I do marriage counseling, what happens is they come in and you know, this, this, and the other. But what we end up doing is we have, you know, the wife come in separately and the husband come in separately because it is always, not even like almost always, it's always single people problems in a marriage that you can walk through. So in marriage counseling, as she's dealing with the single people problems in a marriage, this is all always the case. And you're never going to be without problems this side of heaven. You know, we're always going to have some junk. But what I always tell single people that I mentor is the best thing you can bring your future marriage is less junk. So if you need to go to a counselor on your own, you know, get out of financial debt, maybe, you know, get yourself healthy physically, whatever it may be. You bringing that best self is such a gift to your future marriage. You know, again, you're never going to bring a perfect self. No one even wants a perfect person anyways. <laughs> None of us are going to be perfect and your spouse isn't going to be perfect. But what a gift to bring that future marriage to just having done some work about bringing your best self. And again, you might be like, oh, well, cool, but I don't really want to spend the time or money to do that. But don't you hope your future spouse is doing the same? Okay, okay. Another thing I want to talk about real quick is I've talked to a lot of different counselors just because I think this kind of stuff is fascinating and, you know, have them on the podcast and stuff like this. And one thing that also really stood out to me as it relates to no such thing as marriage problems is, so for example, say the wife comes in and she's like, well, he's just this and he's just that and blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's just say, He is responsible for 90% of the problems. He is just such a pain, you poor thing. But what 10% are you responsible for? Let's talk about that 10%. Because you can't change others, you can only change yourself. Nobody wants to hear that, but it is the doggone honest truth. 
because as going back to this, how women can change the marriage world. I see this so often and I have to fight because I do this too. And I'm like, Oh, I don't like this about myself, but women often try to fix our mate. Like, Oh, well, if they just did this better and Oh, you, why did you do it that way? Why did you say it that way? And we're always trying to fix them. That's not very uplifting to our partner. That's like, Oh, it's almost like nagging. Like you did this wrong. You did that wrong. <laughs> the better thing we can do is pray for them. Be an example for, so an example of this conversation might be like, oh my gosh, you know, you never uh, come to church with me showing up and going to church and being that example without nagging is going to work a lot better than you never come with me. You're such a dirt bag. I can't stand you. Blah, blah. That's not going to make him want to go. But if you just quietly and show up, then he, that's just an example. But there's so many things of you're going to have a lot better odds of quote, changing your person to where you want to be by lovingly, supportingly praying for them and not nagging. So that, that was, that was like a three in one number 10. <laughs> okay. Number 11, you can't complete each other. I talk about this all the time when it relates to singleness. So many singles think, Oh, I just need to find the right guy. And then all my problems will be solved. Or I just need to find the right girl and all my problems will be solved. Untrue and unfair. It is putting a God-like expectation on a flawed human being. There is only one savior and his name is not Brandon. <laughs> put that on Instagram one time and people thought it was funny. You cannot complete each other. You know, again, uh, marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. You can complement each other, meaning like being each other's cheering section, but a marriage is not going to complete you. Only Jesus can do that. Okay. Assuming the best, this is number 12, assuming the best. I love this example because I read an article on Bon Jovi. Yes, that's what I said. Bon Jovi, the rocker from the 80s and 90s. He was married to the same person and still is to this day that he was, you know, through all of his living on top of the world rock star stage. And in that interview, it was kind of like, how did you do this? Because a lot of rock stars don't pass the test of time when they're in the limelight. And, you know, think of like different city every night, girls throwing their bras on stage. Like <laughs> he was larger than life. And he said the best thing that got us through was assuming the best in each other. That she wasn't at home saying, why didn't you call me at so-and-so time? Like you said he would, you know, she assumed he's signing autographs and, you know, doing all the things as he's trying to live this rock star life. And he assumed the best in her as she's at home raising the kids, you know, putting all the things together as far as keeping their house in order. And none of them ever cheated. And they ended up having a beautiful relationship, still married to this day, because as they said, they assumed the best in each other. Take that into contrast of a girl I mentored not too long ago. And she had been in some toxic relationships in the past. So unfortunately, kind of assumed her current boyfriend would cheat as well. And she had that Life360 app on him, which I guess is something a lot of couples do. I don't know. And would stalk him all the time and get mad that he didn't call as soon as he got to his apartment or that he didn't show up at the same time, the same place he said he would and stuff like that. And from what she told me, he was a good guy and he wasn't cheating on her. And I mean, it seemed like he was a good guy and she was looking for him to mess up. That is not a good foundation for a relationship because eventually that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you 
assume the worst, you might get the worst. So I know this is hard, especially if you've been cheated on in the past or you have, you know, a rocky past relationship. But what I was telling that girl is tell yourself what is true about this current relationship. Has he given you any reason to assume that he is at the bar making out with 12 women just because he's not where he says he is? No, you know, stuff happens. People get stuck in traffic. You forget that you need to run by the store and get something like just assume the best in that other person and it will save you from a lot of heartache. Okay. Number 13, never use the D word. Just don't. The D word is divorce. It's like opening a door that doesn't need to be opened. I don't care how frustrated you get. The one you chose is your, the one don't say the D word. All right. That was short and to the point. Number 14, everything worth having takes work. You know this, but you need to be reminded, just like we all do, that, you know, having big muscles is hard and and it it takes work and you have to continually show up at the gym. It's not just one workout. It takes work. I've heard it said that being better, being better at anything takes work. No, no one drifts toward better. If I just sit here and just like hope, hope for good and, you know, don't really make any plans for it. I'm not going to drift toward better. Better takes time on my schedule it takes some money. It takes some investment. It takes work. Just the same with relationships. I am in love with this guy. He gives me butterflies. He's so cute. We have this perfect wedding. But if you don't put work into that relationship, it doesn't get better. No one drifts toward better. You have to continually invest in each other and invest in the relationship. Number 15, be each other's, be each other's cheering section. I love this example from the book Cherish, and it is talking about how we can be each other's male ballerina. Let me explain. So if you've ever been to a ballet, you maybe you've seen just a, a single dance with a male and female ballerina. So typically in those dances, you'll see the male lifting the female up higher, and she's doing super high leaps and spinning around and doing all this cool stuff higher and better and fancier than she could on her own because of the support of the male ballerina, right? He's all the time, like she can leap higher and she can spin faster and do all these things in the air because he is lifting and supporting her. And then when it's time to take a bow, she steps forward. She does the bow. Everyone throws the roses at her and he takes a step back and content and thrilled eyes locked on her, so proud of how she was the star of the show. Even though we all know she couldn't do all that fancy stuff without his support. For example, when I travel to schools, when I get to go speak and do what I love to do and encourage sorority women, my husband is the one at home taking the kids to practices, you know, showing up, doing the carpool lines, doing all the things. I cannot do what I do without his support. Like he is my male ballerina. And in the example he gave in the book is about a woman who went to this lecture, um, this autistic scientist, and he was brilliant, but he was just kind of awkward and his hair was a mess and he had mismatching socks and his jeans were all like funky and stuff. And she got to know him afterwards and got to talk with him. They ended up being colleagues. And as the ro- this started turning into a romance, And she started to be like with love and not with nagging, like we talked about earlier, but with love, like, you know, you're such a brilliant guy. And I feel like people would listen to you better if we just combed your hair a little bit, you know, like, let's just comb your hair a little bit. 
hey, you know, let's just go shop for some jeans that fit you. <laughs> let's get some socks that match. And again, not naggingly, but just supportively being that male ballerina and realizing his gifts and realizing how much he could shine. She was like, hey, you know, here's it to let people listen to you better. It really means a lot when you make eye contact with them, which we know is hard for a lot of times for people who are autistic. But she was that male ballerina and coached him to be able to be a better communicator, to be able to present himself better. And then he ended up being this well-renowned speaker. Meanwhile, he's getting all the claps on stage for his speaking events, and she's in the audience with a heart swelled with pride, cheering on her female ballerina as it relates to this example. So the point in all of this is lifting each other up, being each other's cheering section. That is an example of a beautiful, beautiful marriage. Oh, rounding down the bases, coming toward home. Number 16, talk about what kind of pizza you like. Oh, this is mostly a joke, but when my husband and I got married, I like veggie lovers pizza. I always have, and he likes meat lovers pizza. And it's funny because when we first got married, we like ordered pizza and we kind of stood and looked at each other at one point, like, we didn't talk about that before we got married. And that's kind of a joke, but you know, there are some things that you obviously should talk about I'm shocked at so many people I've met that have got married and they're like, Oh, you know, I thought he wanted to have five kids and it turns out he doesn't want to have any. That's a big deal. You should talk about that before you get married. But as we said earlier, if you have that shared faith and if that is both of your desire in this example, say one of you wants five kids and one of you wants one, but you are on the same page faith-wise, then the conversation can become, well, how do we best serve God? What, what is the best example for our legacy? What And, you know, again, there's not going to be an absolute clear answer, but if you're both seeking God in this, one of your hearts is going to, you know, shift a little bit and maybe you end up having a lot of kids and maybe you meet in the somewhere in the middle. Maybe you don't have any kids and you decide to, you know, live just you guys together. There's not a right or wrong answer to this, but you guys getting together and seeking what God wants for your life, then those problems can be solved. And last but not least, the best thing you can give your kids is a good marriage. Now, I realize this is a emotional number <laughs> because I know some incredible parents who are divorced for whatever reason. I know some incredible moms and dads who are single and who have never been married. This does not mean that, you know, there's children are doomed or anything, but I think that we can all agree parents who love each other is such a beautiful example. Now, I know a lot of people whose parents, they, they wish they got divorced because there was so much fighting or something like that. Or the parent or the child is like, oh, thank God they got divorced because there was just so much going on. But what if that couple decided to stop fighting and start seeing the best in each other? Don't we all hope that our parents can like get past themselves, get past their junk, stop worrying about, oh, well, they're just not making me happy, but I want to, I want to serve you. I want to be an example of how much God loves you here on this earth. Like we talked about at the beginning, there was a couple we went to church with who the wife was unfaithful. Even his Christian friends were like, you should leave her. You should leave her. And he started to realize, you know, 
I had a part in this as well. He realized he was kind of married to his work for several years. She was lonely. There was a reason that she was unfaithful and he took ownership for his part in that betrayal and that part in that unfaithfulness and that affair. And he started doing some heart searching and some work and some counseling on his own. And she started doing the same and some counseling. And, you know, I I cheated on my husband, like, this is a big deal. And they both did a lot of work and they come together and now they talk on stages about how their marriage was restored and, and their kids talk about how thankful they are that their parents decided to do the brave thing, the uncomfortable thing, the, the hard thing by doing, it would have been easier to be like, you cheat on me. I'm done. I'm out. But they decided to realize they both had a role to play in fixing this and getting better. And now there's three kids who have a legacy of parents who showed them an example on this earth of what unconditional love looks like. Not enough of us have that example. I didn't see it when I grew up. My husband didn't see it. But by golly, we are doing our darndest to show our children what that looks like here as they are growing up. Because one day I hope for them to have healthy long-term marriages who love each other, not because they always deserve it, but because they know the example of Jesus who first loved us. I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.